0: It is all over in the 2021 NCAA tournament, and Sikkim, congratulations to the Baylor Bears who are victorious. We come back in once more, recapping the day after the Baylor 86-70 win over the Gonzaga Bulldogs, denying Gonzaga not only the national title, but an unbeaten season. So uh, 76 Indiana Hoosiers still rejoicing, and the Hoosier State still rejoicing, even with a championship in the Hoosier State. As uh, their record remains intact as the last unbeaten team to win the whole thing. We're here to break all of it down on the nation's college basketball show. College basketball coast to coast. I am TJ Reeves in one second. Mark Wise is back with me, my analyst here on TuneIn for the last eight years. He's also with ESPN and the SEC Network. I'm ready for his insight on what the Bears did to Gonzaga and how they got their first national championship in program history. Only the second national title for the state of Texas ever joining Texas Western. The famous team of Don Haskins back in 1965. Social barriers broken down, an epic win. For Texas Western, that's the only other one for the Lone Star State. Now they have two with Scott Drew and Baylor in the green and gold, getting it done Monday night, April the 5th, 2021. Again, however you found this show, thank you for doing so. Reminder to subscribe. You'll get new ones whenever there are ones on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, through the podcast. And we thank TuneIn as well for helping us promote. And you get this show for free streaming on TuneIn on the Tag Sports Group channel, top and bottom of every hour we have through the whole tournament. All right, one more time. Here he is, the former Purdue and South Florida assistant, was part of the Final Four with Purdue in 1980, part of broadcasting Final Fours and national championship wins for the Florida Gators in 06 and 07. Love Mark Wise's insight. We saw history, Coach except we didn't see Gonzaga perfection history. We saw Baylor making history with a first-ever national title. What are your thoughts as we welcome you in in the recap mode? Well,
1: I you know, so much is going to be made and talked about in terms of Gonzaga, and did they spend too much emotional energy um, on, on Saturday night's overtime win against UCLA? I think when you discuss that, you belittle how great Baylor not only was – Monday night in the championship game, but I think Houston feels a lot better about their game on Saturday as well. Right now, um, I said yesterday or I said on the preview show that I thought that uh, it was going to be a game of geography, and that has played out beautifully because, uh, for Baylor anyway, because they made their first five threes, they made 10 threes on the night where Gonzaga only made five, that's plus 15 and three point differential. But the game was also won at the arc defensively for Baylor. And I thought Baylor, all game long, T.J., played takeaway defense. They took away drives. They took away easy passes. They took away any kind of comfort flow that Gonzaga loves to play with. Uh, I saw after the Saturday game how much trouble Gonzaga had keeping up with UCLA and Baylor is light years better than UCLA on the offensive end. I thought they would give them problems. I don't think I saw the, the game that we saw. But, again, uh, hats off to Baylor. Hats off to Scott Drew. We talk about uh, the resurrection of the, of the Baylor program. Uh, this is the culmination in, in terms of being crowned a champion. And I'm glad that we're talking about a champion because this time last year, we were not able to do that.
0: Very true. Uh, and, and it's a redemption story on a lot of different fronts for that athletic department, that basketball program. Incredible what they were able to do. And I, I need to give you kudos because you were saying Baylor Bears on the Monday preview show that you believe in them. Uh, and let's go back again. I agree with you. Some of it was maybe Baylor in a fog or I'm sorry, Gonzaga in a fog. Some of it may be tentative, emotionally spent, but most of it was the aggressiveness at both ends of the floor, getting on the floor for loose balls, Mark, uh, stripping the ball away from Suggs or, or, or Timmy or whoever was handling it, a, a Yai, whoever was handling it out front, stripping it from him, knocking it from him, stealing it from him going and grabbing rebounds, et cetera. They they just crushed Gonzaga on the glass, especially in the first part of the game. And they made 10 of their first 13 shots. You have drilled it into me for over a decade. You're proud that I listened to you. You've drilled it into me. You must make shots. They made 10 of their first 13. They made all five of their first three-point attempts in the first half that was as big of a reason why it wasn't just a six-point game, that it became 10, that it became 15, that it eventually became 29 to 10. It eventually became a 19-point game. Mark, more on that, please.
1: Well, again, once Baylor got going and when Davion Mitchell is making shots to uh, complement Butler and Teague on on the perimeter, I mean, they become a nightmare to try and guard. And and I thought Mitchell made all of his shots early in the game. Um, You know, we talked about He has one of the great nicknames in college basketball in terms of off night. Well, it looks to me like uh, several uh, of the Baylor uh, defenders could be called off night last night in terms of that championship game. I love what they did in terms uh, of forcing mistakes. But how about this, TJ? I, I know that Gonzaga had 14 turnovers on the game, five of them from Timmy alone. But how many other near turnovers? How many other balls that were deflected that Gonzaga had to go back and gather, shoot bad shots, especially in the first 10 minutes of the game? I thought Baylor was so disruptive, um, Put you know went right across the ring, got Gonzaga on the ropes early on, and Gonzaga, for the most part, was never able to get the fight back in the middle of the ring.
0: Uh, our colleague Matt Zimmick on the late-night show – monday night said it wasn't physically tired but it almost was like mentally they cracked at some point in that first 10 minutes or so where they realized man this team can guard us this team is spreading us out on offense uh, say again from an x and o standpoint say something about scott drew tactically on offense spreading gonzaga out cutters to the basket back door drive and dish to open shooters. I mean, they were on point offensively, were they not? Yeah, they were the just much quicker team. You know, uh, one of the things
1: that happened early in the game that was to the detriment of Gonzaga was Suggs getting the two early fouls. And the first foul call was not a good call at all, the charge on, on Suggs. But then later, I mean, right away, he reaches in and makes a foolish foul goes to the bench, and as a consequence, the, from that point forward, the game was over. I mean, I get it. I, I love the fact that, that Mark Few went into his bag of tricks because Gonzaga doesn't zone. They zone 1% on the year, haven't had the zone from their conference, and as a consequence, he had, he had no choice because I think he saw what the rest of us saw. They had no chance at guarding Baylor, and even though the zone wasn't great, it certainly disrupted the flow of the game, allowed them to get it back to within 10. Remember, he had to bring Suggs back, and Suggs had to play long minutes in the first half with those two fouls. He didn't have any choice. So from that from that standpoint, I, I like what Mark Few did because a lot of coaches would just be stubborn in that situation. So I like the fact he gave himself a chance going into the locker room. Uh, but, again, Baylor too good in too many areas. We talked about – Yesterday, I I talked about the bigs for Baylor utilizing their fouls, and when you take a look at the fouls that they gave, you know, in terms of Thamba fouling out, four fouls on Chachua, um, um, Mark Vidal had three fouls. I mean, that's exactly what they did. I mean, their game plan was executed beautifully.
0: Did a tremendous job. This guy's done a tremendous job with me uh, going back 15 plus years coverage on Sirius XM Fox sports radio, and now tune in for the last eight seasons as Baylor has won it. Love Mark wise's insight on the bears, their national championship. You follow him at M W hoops uh, all throughout the college basketball season. Great job on the ESPN platform, as well as the sec network broadcasting games. Um, Okay, I, let's let's just have some fun with the historical perspective. What is it about Indianapolis? The last time the Final Four was there, you and I were there, and Kentucky was beaten in the semifinal by Wisconsin as an unbeaten team and didn't get it. UNLV thirty years ago came in undefeated, number one, defending champions, and Duke beat them to deny them. And now we fast forward to a compressed, mainly in Indianapolis, but in Greater Indiana. NCAA tournament with everybody staying there and being COVID tested and bubbled and Gonzaga makes the run to the title game and once again in Indianapolis, an unbeaten team denied. Uh, did, did the Hoosiers put a hex on this once and for all 45 years later that nobody can get it done? Mark, what's going on? You know, TJ, of all the
1: questions you have asked me throughout the years, this is the easiest one to explain. And you asked and answered your own question. Because there's no question to me, it's the, it's the ghost of Quinn Buckner. It's the ghost of Bobby Knight. I mean, you're not going to go into Indiana and be the next undefeated team. So if I'm the next undefeated team and I see where the final four is in Indianapolis, Hey, we need to change something. We need to move location really quick. It's not happening.
0: Yeah. It's amazing the the way that this is all lined up. And again, as we said last night, for a different audience that's hearing us here, uh, for all time's sake, when the Indiana team won it, I'm not taking away from an unbeaten season, there was no Big Ten tournament. You know this, Mark. So they didn't have to play the Big Ten tournament gauntlet to remain undefeated. There was a 32-team tournament, which meant that they played one less game than the teams do now. That's one less opportunity to lose. Take nothing away from them winning, but it's still uh it's incredible uh that that we now go it it just shows something you keep reinforcing how hard it is to win in this tournament for example people that are knocking mark few let's talk about this for a few moments they've now been in the championship game a couple of times in the last four years without winning it you now understand if if you didn't before how hard it is to win when you contemplate hall of fame career for jim Beheim, he's won one of them John Calipari has been in the final four umpteen times with <laughs> UMass, Memphis, and Kentucky. He's won one of them. Tom Izzo in the final four over and over and over again, in the championship game over and over and over again, has won one of them. I, I, you, you can't look at that and say, Mark Fuse a failure because he, he's been in the final four a couple times, two championship games, losses. It's hard to win this thing, period. And I know you've illuminated that with me for a long time as well.
1: Well, TJ, I've been of the proponent, most fans don't understand how hard it is to win one game in the tournament, much less six in a one-and-done format over a three-weekend, what we're used to in terms of a three-weekend event. So from that standpoint, any conversation that knocks the greatness of Mark Few uh, and what he's done at, at Gonzaga is ludicrous. Um, I mean, the, the, the country is filled with great coaches. The coaching has never been better in college basketball, in my opinion, uh, in terms of, of the creativity that's going on in college basketball with the coaches right now. So uh, I, I'm not going down that path. It's a ludicrous path. I mean, uh, Mark Few and what he's done is, you know, there's there's no more sense in making the argument that Scott Drew is validated by winning the, ter- the tournament than there is Mark Few losing in the championship game. So, um, it, 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 again, I come back to this thing that I've talked about, Billy Donovan. I'm going to say this one more time. Billy Donovan, over his 19 years, if you, if you created a formula where you – if you didn't make the tournament, it's minus one. If you made the tournament, it's zero. If I didn't win a game, it's zero. Win a game, it's one, and so on. And if you apply that formula, Billy Donovan, over 19 years, Hall of Fame coach, no question about it, one of the best I've ever been around, he averaged 1.6 wins per tournament. John Calipari averaged 2.4 wins per tournament. I think that puts some concrete evidence into how hard it is to win games in this event.
0: Amen. Uh, And again, worth pointing out, Hall of Fame iconic coach in Mike Krzyzewski, they didn't make the NCAA tournament this year. John Calipari, again, has been synonymous with the Final Four and the championship game while at Kentucky. They had a losing record and didn't make the tournament. Gonzaga, as Mark Few said after the game, was the preseason number one, had that around their neck figuratively the entire year a pre-conference season that saw them beat the likes of right. Kansas and West Virginia. You know this, Mark. I'm saying it to the audience here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. They beat Kansas, West Virginia, Virginia, uh, Iowa, o- over and over again. The only game they didn't play was the Baylor game out of conference. They eventually played that in the championship game. But then to go through uh, the gauntlet and all the all the wins that they had over the likes of Creighton and UCLA to get there – uh, to get to the title game, what a season! And we should not lose sight of that. They just came up short in uh, in a game in which Baylor played outstanding. Um, and and say something about this too, because we're going to forever remember this as the COVID nineteen uh situation here uh, with this tournament being compressed and everybody being tested, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the bottom line is that um that Baylor had to go on COVID pause um they they took two and a half weeks 10 days worth mark where they didn't practice uh Baylor that we're talking about here came off of that and still found a way to win we're going to talk about the COVID-19 tournament forever but Baylor survived it in February and then won this and that is a tremendous testament to that program and their resolve
1: yeah again TJ, I mean, um, to the victor go the spoils. So I, I get all that argument in terms of Baylor and, and how well they play. They're a deserving champion. And if it wasn't for that COVID pause, I don't think they would have given us pause in terms of how well they have played and what a de- deserving champion they are. So uh, from that standpoint, um, the, the roster they put together, um, magnificent season, a worthy champion. Now, if we could just do this, if we could just get, especially, and I'm going to jump ship on you a little bit here, especially in this day and age of the transfer portal, if you can just hold off on the, it's way too early, top 25 for next year, because that is the most ludicrous thing that will come out of our sport here in the next three or four days. So can we just hold off on that? We don't even know what the rosters are
0: Very true on that. And I know Deshaun Tate was talking about that uh, last night, that uh, it, 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 it was out last night. Everybody's looking for clicks, for eyeballs, for ears on their podcast to talk about next year's top 25. How do you know with all the coaching changes and all the different players that are in the portal? All right. And I think we need to say one more time on College Basketball Coast to Coast, what a job by uh, everybody involved, Dan Gavitt and the operations of the NCAA and the NCAA tournament. It's his event. You you talked for weeks leading up to this about how important and how vital he would be to this. Dave Warlock and the media part and the organization of all of this. There was an army of people involved. And we should say it, too, about the women's tournament, the women's Division One tournament being played in San Antonio, Texas, that they pulled off. Not, nothing short of a minor miracle to be able to get all of this together with all of the different teams that are involved, all the different schools that came to two different areas in San Antonio and Indianapolis and do this. And, Mark, I'm just grateful that we got what we got. It was not the exact same, but it was still dramatic, it was still fun. And there were a ton of people that, that spent weeks and months planning this, preparing it, and executing it. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of probably 18 to 20-hour days over the last month, five weeks or so to pull this off. We can't thank them enough because it didn't just accidentally happen and it didn't just get, to put, get put together over a day or two, right?
1: I I would like to echo those sentiments um, to the nth degree in terms of what the NCAA was able to achieve with this tournament. Um, I was very surprised. We only had one hiccup along the way um, with the VCU situation. Um, Other than that, it seemed to go off um, relatively seamless. We did have the situation with the officials uh, before they got there. So, Um, From that standpoint, I I agree with you. I also want to do this. I want to take a minute and thank you for um, the effort that you have put in into making this show happen over the last month. Usually you and I are catching airplanes from uh, one site to another, from one championship game to another. And then we meet back up uh, wherever the final four has been. And we've done some interviews and some Um, uh, post-game analysis late night in some strange places, uh, trying to find a quiet enough area where we can uh, record and send along. So I know all of these shows do not happen on their own and you deserve a big thank you. College basketball deserves a big thank you uh, for um, the effort that you have put in as well.
0: I appreciate that. It's a labor of love, as you know. I, I cannot do this alone. You have been fantastic with me, but the likes of Ari Russell and Matt Zimmick, I'm going to leave somebody out, Deshaun Tate, Jason Powers, all these different analysts and guests that we've had that have been willing to come on, this is a blast for me, and we had to do this differently. As, as you said, you have been at your home in Gainesville, Florida, for most of this. I've been at my home in in, uh, in the northern Tampa suburbs of Florida, We've interviewed guests, though, all over the country from L.A. to Michigan to New York to Indianapolis and back to to be part of this. We've truly been coast to coast. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of you that have found this over the month of March. And uh, we'll continue to do this. I mean, uh, I was, you know me, Mark, we were not going to sit back idly, even if we couldn't be there <laughs> and couldn't be at the games and not do this. We got too much to say, too many takes. So thank you for the kind words on that. One more time as we depart uh, again, kudos to Baylor. Great, great tournament, the best event in sports. I cannot wait to return to some normalcy. We have begun to get back to some normalcy. Let's get back to some normalcy in the college basketball season with fans, et cetera, uh, because this is going to be here before we know it again, this, this fall, this winter, and we'll do it all over again, 12 months from now, 11 and a half months from now with another NCAA tournament. New Orleans is the anticipated destination for the final four next year, 2022 I look forward for the road and the winding road to get us back there. But, hey, thank you. This has been a blast. Thank you. Uh, again, there's been a lot of occasions when I've said, can you join me here? Can you join me there? Mark always answers the call. And uh, go work on your golf game now. Go enjoy the Kentucky Derby and some things that we have in the off season. and we'll, we'll regroup, we'll reconvene in the fall. Maybe we took a
1: step toward that normalcy that you took, talked about when we heard one shining moment last night. Now I'm looking forward to next season.
0: Amen. Thank you, Mark Wise. Great stuff, my friend. Be well in the offseason. Great job with the analysis. Thanks, TJ. And there he goes. Love Mark Wise's insight uh, with me all the time. As I say again publicly, thanks to him for being with me and follow him at MW Hoops. All right, some more footnotes on the season before we get out of here on college basketball coast to coast. We mentioned the Baylor Bears out of the Big 12 end up winning this championship. The Big 12 which is a conference that's been in existence now, what, about 25 years or so? It has been known more for, obviously, the Kansas Jayhawks and what they've been able to do, but uh, certainly Texas made a Final Four in the past. So, too, did West Virginia uh, making it to a Final Four um, and and on and on down the list with with quality teams. But Baylor gets a national championship for the Big 12 Conference. Let's hear something for the Southwest, for the Plains states uh, that are there as they represent Um, And once more, what a diverse uh, Elite Eight and Final Four, whether you were talking about uh, Michigan uh, having a role in this or UCLA having a role in this or Arkansas or Houston. I mean, a lot of it, again, flavored in and around Texas uh, and the Southwest with some of these. Elite eight games, but also Oregon State. How about Wayne Tinkle getting a four year contract extension reportedly? This is the this is what's great about the month of March, folks. Whether you're talking about Wayne Tinkle, uh, who was probably going to be fired they were, they were in a losing situation. Um, he and the athletic director have clashed some, and yet the month of March, the magic of March, the mayhem of March, and Oregon State wins a couple of games at the end of the regular season, gets into the Pac-12 tournament with an automatic bid on the line in Las Vegas, wins three games in three days, beating uh, UCLA and Oregon and Colorado in succession and they end up getting into the NCAA tournament and now do damage with not one, not two, but three wins in the NCAA tournament over uh, Tennessee, then Oklahoma State, speaking of the Big 12, and Cade Cunningham, and then beating Loyola Chicago to get into the Elite Eight, only to have Houston knock them off. But Great job, and kudos to Wayne Tinkle. And we should say, too, on the coaching carousel, now that we know this, we had talked on a Monday in the preview mode for the championship game. What would North Carolina do? Would they elevate Hubert Davis, the former player, the longtime Roy Williams assistant? Would they go to another North Carolina player who's now been a coach at UNC Greensboro as a head coach with five straight 20-win seasons in West Miller? Would they go outside the program? They've elected to elevate Hubert Davis, Uh, and give the former North Carolina All-American the reins of the program, the first black head coach in in North Carolina's history. Dean Smith, again, was a very progressive head coach in terms of his players uh, and desegregation in the North Carolina basketball program. Hubert Davis played under Dean Smith. Uh, back near the end of Dean Smith's his, uh, at the end of his career, Hubert Davis, Carolina Tar Heel through and through, great for him. And, and you really you look at these with Mike Woodson getting the Indiana job, and we did talk about Dane Fife, the former Indiana player, and would he come onto the staff with Mike Woodson as one of the coaches? And let me say publicly, I've been erroneously saying that Dane Fife was a Michigan assistant; he was a Michigan State assistant uh, for the last ten years. So Dane Fife coming back to Indiana, he was a member of the two thousand and two Final Four team. But Mike Woodson gets the job as a, as a blackhead coach. Yes, I have my doubts as to whether they can succeed with him, but he gets the opportunity as a former Indiana player, as a blackhead coach. Uh, Jawan Howard, as a former player at Michigan, has now distinguished himself uh, as the Michigan coach, as a blackhead coach. College basketball to be lauded, unlike college football, where you can't even fill up ten fingers with the number of blackhead coaches In college football, whether you're talking about the job Mike Boynkin has done taking over at Oklahoma State and getting a contract extension during this uh, coaching carousel on and on Leonard Hamilton, who all he does is win at Florida State, Uh, all all throughout uh, major college basketball, Patrick Ewing, the job he did at his alma mater, Georgetown, getting them into the NCAA tournament by winning the automatic bid at the Big East tournament on and on, example after example after example of coaches of color being able to get opportunities. So Hubert Davis, go get him at Carolina. Uh, it will be very interesting uh, with his ability to recruit and relate to players, how that will work out for them. Um, and again, that's more of the of the coaching carousel and everything that has happened and has taken place. I mean, we've seen the changeup. We've seen uh, Chris Beard depart uh, Texas Tech. Uh, After Shaka Smart departed Texas and went to Marquette, uh, back to his roots, he's a Wisconsin native to go coach in the Big East now. Speaking of another coach of color, going now to Marquette. Uh, Meanwhile, Chris Beard leaves Texas Tech, who he had in the National Championship game two years ago, and then this year had him back in the NCAA tournament. He stays, but he goes with the iconic Longhorn program. Of course, we had Tom Penders on on the weekend. If you want to go back and hear that interview, just look at the archive from Saturday on College Basketball Coast to Coast and hear Tom Penders talking about Chris Beard having been a student coach for him, a graduate assistant for him at Texas, how much he stayed in contact with Chris Beard, who's now at Texas. Of course, Porter Porter Moser leaves Loyola Chicago, had them in the Final Four back three years ago, had them in the Sweet 16 this year, says, I'm I'm headed on to bigger things. And that Oklahoma job is really, I'm saying this, I'm not a Sooner. Again, here we go with the Big 12 again, with, uh, with Oklahoma having been a Final Four program as recently as 2016, uh, Lon Kruger retires from there. That's a program where football is king, but the basketball program has been good at a high level for a long time. There's money, there's facilities, there's donors, there's everything that Porter Moser would need to succeed, and it doesn't surprise me one bit that he would take that kind of uh, opportunity. So again, on the coaching carousel, Kevin Kruger, the son of Lon Kruger, gets the UNLV job all the way out west. What a job by Mick Cronin, who again, two years ago, UCLA was bumbling and floundering, and they finally settled on Mick Cronin, who was arguably their fifth or sixth or seventh choice on the resume, and yet Mick Cronin gets them into the NCAA tournament and wins not one, not two, but five tournament games and plays an epic semifinal game. I mean, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, we're going to talk about that Gonzaga-UCLA semifinal and uh, and the great game and the great run that UCLA had. It just goes to show you on the carousel, some guys can make it work. So that's been a fun part of this college basketball season. And again, can't say enough. Thank you to all of the organizers in all of the conferences, but in specific, the coaches, the training staff and the players that went through all the sacrifices of COVID testing, social distancing, isolating away from their families, their loved ones for months and months and months to be able to play the season and play the tournament. And the NCAA, again, planned and organized and had an army of people setting out to host 68 men's teams in Indianapolis and 64 women's teams in San Antonio and pull off NCAA tournaments, plural, in those two places in modified bubbles to give us March Madness. Thrilling stuff. Thrilling stuff all the way through with buzzer beaters, exciting finishes. I mean, who can forget the likes of Oral Roberts uh, when we began this tournament or Abilene Christian or North Texas, the little guys. Oregon State is a bigger program but an underdog winning games and marching on Loyola of Chicago again. And then we whittle it down to an unbeaten Gonzaga. No shame in the season they had. They had a phenomenal season. Baylor was just better. Baylor deserves all the credit. And again, Scott Drew taking that program out of shambles, out of disarray, out of essentially the death penalty in the mid-2000s without having the death penalty. And now they have won the whole thing, the Baylor Bears. That's the footnote on it. We'll remember it for COVID-19. We'll remember it for Gonzaga being unbeaten. But we'll remember it for the madness being back in Indianapolis and greater Indiana. What a tournament, what a blast, what a load of fun. My thanks again to all of you for finding us on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We'll come back next year, and again, stream on TuneIn as well. We'll come back next year with more of College Basketball on College Basketball Coast to Coast. I'm T.J. Reeves. Congrats to the Baylor Bears. Sick'em. They are the champs for 2021 on College Basketball Coast to Coast.